Welcome to Common Ground Church Rondebosch, a community based in Cape Town, South Africa, who believe that if Jesus is who He says He is, that changes everything. Our sermon podcast aims to unpack this reality, rooted in Scripture and dependent on God's Spirit. In Matthew 6 verse 33, Jesus said we are to seek first the Kingdom of God. In this Where Is Your Treasure series, we are diving into the invitation and call from Jesus to find and live for true treasure, treasure that is life and world-changing and worth our whole heart. Please continue listening for today's message. I'll be reading from Matthew 6, 5 to 15, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, everyone. It's good to be with you. Um, My name's Ian, for those of you who don't know me. And um, I'm really excited to continue our um, Where Is Your Treasure series. Actually, not continue it, land it, finish it. This is week four of Where Is Your Treasure, and this is our last message in this series. And it's been such an encouraging series and challenging series as we've looked at that question, where is your treasure, and, and looked at the words of Jesus to answer that question. And in week one, Josh unpacked the reality that Jesus likened the the kingdom to a field that has a treasure hidden in it. And when you find that treasure, it's worth selling everything to buy that field because of the value of the kingdom of God that the kingdom of God is, is of great value. And then in week two, we got to look at Jesus sharing the reality that there are two places that we can store our, our treasure. We can store our treasure here on earth or we can store our treasure in heaven and we can enjoy the great reward of this earth, money and everything it opens up, or we can enjoy the great rewards of heaven, Jesus, God himself, and everything that he opens up to us. And then in week three, Ryan got to unpack last week, Ryan unpacked the the reality that so much of the anxiety that we feel as a people is due to the reality that we, we might be setting our hearts on the things of this earth and panicking about how we're gonna get them. And the the solution to that was to seek first the kingdom of God and trust the king of that kingdom would provide for our needs. And our hope is that as we get to this last message in this series, that that we would one, see the value of the kingdom, two, have a heart to store up treasures in heaven, and three, be asking a critical question, how is it that I seek the kingdom of God? And how do I know if I'm seeking the kingdom of God first and foremost in my life? And so the text that we've just read actually comes at the beginning 
of the, the, the text that we've just spent the last two weeks in. It's actually before Jesus gets to seek first the kingdom and talking about the value of the kingdom and where we can store treasure, he actually starts with this teaching on prayer and how to pray. And I think the reason for that is that prayer is the foundation or the starting point of seeking the kingdom of God. And if you want to know if your heart is set on the kingdom, then a really good question to ask is, is my heart set on prayer? Because Jesus starts his teaching around the kingdom, setting our hearts on prayer. And it's really important that we, we hear what it is that Jesus has to say to us tonight, because how we pray and what we pray for is quite a clear indication of where our treasure is. And Jesus is going to teach us by, by giving us two ways in which we shouldn't pray, and then a kind of blueprint about how we should pray and what our prayer lives should prioritize and what the content of our prayer life should be. Um, and in doing that, as he, as he gives us these two warnings and this blueprint of what prayer should be like, what he's saying is that those who are seeking the kingdom first, or as I'm going to say tonight, kingdom people, people who've orientated their lives around the kingdom of God, kingdom people, are those kind of people who are a praying people, Kingdom people pray for God's kingdom. Kingdom people pray to their Father. And kingdom people pray trusting their Father. That's where we're going this evening. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started. Father, it's incredible that we get to come before the living creator of the universe, the all-powerful one, the mighty one, that we've just sung rightfully praises to. And yet we're going to hear that you are our Father. And I pray that as we come before our Father this evening, as we sit under your words, that our hearts would be open and ready to receive all it is that you want to say. God, because we come to a living Father, we trust in this moment that we will, we will hear you, that you will meet us where we're at, that you will comfort us, that you will strengthen us, that you will correct us, that you will challenge us, that you will call us to things this evening, Father. And so we, as your people, open up our hearts, and by your spirit and your word, would you change us and, 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 and call us to all the things you want to call us to this evening, God. We are your people, ready to hear, ready to listen. Amen. Let's look at that first one. Kingdom people are a praying people. Kingdom people are a praying people. In many ways, this is actually the, the title of my message, but I wanted to make it a point because it's something that we can, we can pass by quite quickly in the words of Jesus, that Jesus has an assumption as he gets to this teaching on prayer, he assumes something, and we see that in verse five, and when you pray. It's not if you pray, it's when you pray. And there's an assumption in Jesus' mind that the people of God will be a praying people. And so much of his teaching to us tonight is based on that assumption. Obviously, the people of God are a praying people. And what he's trying to teach us is not a call or a challenge to pray, but rather what he's teaching us is how to pray. And he assumes that we'll be a pray, praying people because our, at the center of our kind of belief system is that there is a living creator God who we can speak to. And that if that's what we believe, we would be speaking to him. We would be praying to him. And the fact that we pray reveals that we actually do believe that there is a God to pray to. 
And so Jesus has this assumption that kingdom people will be praying people. And then he focuses all his teaching on how we pray. And the reason I think that he does that is because how we pray reveals or reminds ourselves and reveals to the world what we believe to be true about the one we pray to. How we pray reveals what we believe to be true about the one we pray to. And we're going to unpack that this evening. But at the heart of Jesus' teaching is this assumption that kingdom people are praying people and that we long to see the power of God and the goodness of God at work in our lives and the lives of others through prayer. Which is why Jesus moves on and goes, kingdom people pray for God's kingdom. So kingdom people are praying people, but kingdom people are also a people who pray for God's kingdom. Verse 5, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And the first thing that Jesus challenges is this idea of hypocritical praying. And the primary problem here is not that people are standing in street corners and praying. In fact, the heart of these people or this, this practice at the time was actually to bring God and their faith out of the temple, out of the synagogues and into real life and into the world. And actually, as Christ followers, that's a really good thing for us to desire to do, is to bring our faith and our trust in a living God out of this place and into the real world, into our families, into our workplaces, into all the places that we go. We should bring our faith, and our faith should be a fundamental part of who we are in every space that we find ourselves here. And Jesus himself doesn't condemn public prayer, praying many times publicly himself, and many of the authors of the Scriptures prayed publicly. And as leaders of this community, we would love to see all our public prayer meetings full. We would love to see our public, because kingdom people are praying people. And so we'd hope that as a community of kingdom people, we would fill our prayer meetings because kingdom people are praying people. And that our Tuesday morning prayer meeting would be full of people. You know that before every meeting, well, first meeting in the morning and our evening meeting, there's a group of people in that room praying, God, would you move tonight? Would your kingdom come? Would you speak? Would you soften our hearts? Would you meet people where they are? And we're praying to our living God, going, God, what is it you want to say? How do you want to shape the meeting? What is it that you want to do? And I would invite you into all those spaces. It would be fantastic for us to be there together praying for these things. And so Jesus' primary issue here is not that people are standing on street corners and praying out publicly, but he's very clear on what the issue is and where the hypocrisy lies when he says, as he looks into their hearts, as he looks into their motive, as he looks into their agenda, he says, their agenda and their motive is to be seen by others, to be seen by others. And the tragedy of a religious community is that religious activity can come, become a kind of social currency where the, the activities of religion like prayer and fasting can be something that we do to achieve or gain status or approval or the affirmation of other people. And that's what Jesus is speaking to. That's the, the hypocrisy that he's speaking about. Their agendas and motives have nothing to do with the purposes in the kingdom of God and everything to do with their pride 
and therefore the kingdom of self. It's that moment of them, of us, when we pray and we're going, God, you're so good, you're so mighty, you're glorious, you're fantastic, we love you. We tr-. Is anyone hearing my theology here? Is anyone being moved by my faith? Am I gaining traction here? What are people thinking about my prayers? And Jesus says there's a great hypocrisy in that kind of praying. In fact, he would go so far as to say with the words hypocrisy that there's something profoundly wrong with using the tools of the kingdom to build communion with the Father and to seek his ways and desires to use these things to build the kingdom of self. I don't know about, about you, but I have these moments, they hurt me, and I've probably done it to people, I've done it to you, I'm sorry, but, but we have these moments where, where you can be in a public gathering speaking to someone, and they come up to you, and you're engaged in the conversation, it's going well, and you feel engaged, and you feel connected to them, and then suddenly you notice that the conversation shifted, and they're looking over your shoulder, and they've been distracted by something, and you realize they no longer want to be in communication or communion with you. They're looking over your shoulder at someone else that they'd rather be speaking to. It's painful when that happens. You find yourself trying to subtly look over your shoulder to see who's more important than you. And God is saying that that's what this kind of hypocrisy is, what this hypocritical praying looks like. But what's even worse is that as he looks over his shoulder, he's communing with his people and they start looking over his shoulder. And when he looks over his shoulder behind him, it's a mirror that's behind And the very thing that's distracting them is the kingdom of self and their own face. And and what's so amazing is that you would think Jesus, as he calls out this hypocrisy, actually before I get there, I think that there might be people in this room at the beginning of the year where you're maybe back in church and and because it's the start of a year, you may have thought of thoughts similar to, hey, I'm going to give the people of God and church another try. It's been a while. And the reason that you dr- drifted from church and the reason that you drifted from the people of God was because of hypocrisy. And I would say to you, if you find yourself in this room, that Jesus himself calls out hypocrisy and has no time for hypocrisy and would want to lead us as the people of God out of hypocrisy. But I would also say to you that I'm a hypocrite and that there are many hypocrites in this room. And there's probably a little bit of hypocrisy in your own heart. And actually, I think you've misread what brings this group of people together. It is not that we are perfect. It is not that we've got it right. We are brought together and called together and the people of God based on the grace of God and his goodness and his kindness. We are not a perfect people. I am not a perfect person. And I would suggest that the grace of God that's called us and gathered us and knit us together as family may be the thing that you're longing for most yourself. And the best strategy is not to base your decisions on who Jesus is on his people because we are a grace people. We don't deserve to be in relationship with him, but rather to base your opinions on Jesus on his word and who he says he is. And what's so amazing is that Jesus goes on and he says to these people, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. 
They've received their reward. And you think that as Jesus calls out hypocrisy, he would go and, and say, you, you deserve nothing, you get nothing. But Jesus actually goes, well, if that's the reward you want, you can have that reward. And these people walk away with human affirmation, good status before people. And they're probably, we're probably in these moments where we're seeking the approval of men, very happy when we get the approval of people. And Jesus is saying, well, that's your reward and you can have it. And some of us might go, well, that sounds good. I can be religious. I can get the status I want. I can get the affirmation I want. It builds me up. That's great. But it's probably an indication, or it is an indication, of where your treasure is and what treasure you're seeking. And the fact that Jesus says you can have that treasure, you can have that reward, is quite a chilling thing, I think. Because it's actually that moment where, I don't know if you've seen this with kids, I've seen it often in my, my house, is that they'll see a toy that they think is amazing. They can be like a pack of them. And they see the toy and they're like, that's amazing. And they run over and they start fighting over the toy. And the toy has value because they're fighting over it. And then one of them sees a better toy and runs off. And the kid lifting, left holding the toy goes, what just happened? This has no more value. And they see, oh my word, I could have had that. And I'm left with this. And Jesus is saying to us, it's okay, you can have it. But there's something so much better over there. There's something so much better over there. Don't settle for a lesser reward. And he goes on to show what the, the better option is. Verse six, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And the far greater reward that we can seek is the very face and presence of the father. The creator of the universe offers us his presence and invites us to call him father and to find his reward. Our agenda and motivation for prayer should not be to seek our face, but to seek the face of the Father. Psalm 27 says this, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Christian, don't let your agenda of prayer be anything less than the face and the presence of the Father. Go into the secret place, not for building your own kingdom, but for experiencing the goodness of your Father. John Stott says it so well. Our Father is there waiting, speaking of the secret place, our Father is there waiting to welcome us. Just like nothing destroys prayer like side glances at human spectators, so nothing enriches it like a sense of the presence of God. And last week, Jesus gave us two choices. He says, you can, you can seek the kingdom of earth and all the treasures of earth, or you can seek the kingdom of God and the great treasure of, of heaven, which is God himself. And he gave us that choice, kingdom of self or kingdom of God. And this evening, he's giving us the same kind of choice. He's saying, which reward will you seek? Which kingdom will you seek? Which face will you seek? Your face or my face? Which audience will you seek? The audience of people or the audience of the Father? 
whose audience will you seek? What will your prayer life be about? Which is why when Jesus gives us that blueprint for prayer, in verse 9, he says, pray like this, and he gives us this blueprint of what prayer should look like. And this isn't a, you have to pray this way every time. Jesus prayed many different prayers. The authors of the scriptures pray many different prayers. But this is kind of a blueprint of what the priority and the content of our prayer life should look like in general. And yes, it's a good prayer to work through and pray through often. And he says this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Then verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our prayer life will reveal the true agenda of our heart. And when our prayers are full with a desire to see the kingdom come, we know what the agenda of our prayer life is and which kingdom we're seeking. Do you burn with a deep passion for the glory of God or the glory of self? And our prayer lives tell us. They reveal something to us. If we find that our prayer lives are very hot and cold and they often heat up because what what happens is that we've tried every other means to get what it is we actually want, so now suddenly we turn to prayer. God, will you do this for me? Will you give me this thing? And then it grows cold when we feel satisfied and comfortable and happy in the place we are and the things we have. It probably reveals that we're living, our prayer life is about the kingdom of self and not the kingdom of God. Because you see, as kingdom people, we realize that the kingdom of God has broken into this world, but that it is not fully established. And so every single morning that we wake up, we get to wake up with a burning prayer on our hearts. Your kingdom come, your will be done. God, would your kingdom come? Would your will in my life and the lives of the people around me be done? Would we see your kingdom break into areas of this world where darkness exists? And would you use me to do that? God, your kingdom come. And we can burn every single morning with a prayer that passionately seeks to see Jesus glorified, his name made known, and his will and ways and purposes established in this earth knowing that one day he will come back and do it fully and completely. There is always a prayer, a burning prayer, on kingdom people seeking the kingdom of God. Our prayer lives can always be on. They don't need to be hot and cold. So kingdom people pray for the kingdom. Kingdom people pray to their father. Kingdom people pray to their father. Verse seven, let's go back up to verse seven. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And this is where we see the reality that how we pray reveals what we believe about the person that we're praying to. And again, the issue here is not that these people pray with repetition or petition because we see that Jesus prayed three times in the garden. We see that um, the story of the persistent woman seeking justice and so much of the biblical teaching on prayer is one of persist in prayer, continue in prayer, do not give up praying. And so many prayers in my life have only been answered after many years of praying them. That's not the issue here. 
But the two phrases that show us what Jesus is getting at or what Jesus has an issue with in, in this kind of praying are that they heap up empty phrases and that they think that they will be heard. They think that they will be heard. Let's look at that first one. That they, they heap up empty phrases. And, and Jesus is speaking into a culture and a, a pagan culture around the people of God that would pray with these kind of incantations or this meditation that was repetitive and consistent and continuous with this desire to empty one's mind and heart and to just pray these, these statements, these empty phrases. And what Jesus is saying is, no, we don't pray like that. We bring the fullness of our mind and our hearts and our emotions and our desires to our prayers. And we pray prayers full of meaning, full of connectedness to our minds and our hearts. We don't pray with empty phrases. And then he says, we also don't pray thinking that we will be heard because of our many words. And what seems to have happened is that the, the people that Jesus is referring to is as they prayed these empty phrases and meaningless words, they would pray many of them with this kind of blind hope that someone or something was out there listening to them. They didn't know who they were praying to. And so they would pray over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, hoping that some impersonal deity out there or some impersonal force out there might be stirred out of annoyance of the volume, loud and many words that they were praying to perhaps act on their behalf. Their prayers were prayers of begging and desperation and blind hope that someone or something out there might act on their behalf. And Jesus says, do not pray like them. That's not the God you pray to. And he says this phrase, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. You know who you pray to. As kingdom people, we know who we pray to. That phrase, your Father is incredibly powerful. The creator of the universe, the one who made it all, invites us to know him as Father, which means that he is deeply personal. Yes, God is so much more than personal. God is so much more than personal, but he's not less than personal. And God is so much more than the best earthly father, but he's not less than the best earthly father. We can know him as a personal, loving Father, God. And how we pray reveals whether we believe that to be true about God or not. Are you coming to your Father in prayer? And throughout my prep, throughout this day, throughout yesterday, God has been impressing on my heart the reality that he is father. And I think it's something that he really wants us to grasp, not just at an intellectual level, but at a heart level, that he is our father and Christ followers. There is a debt that Jesus paid, and we're gonna get to that. And Jesus did incredible things on the cross, and he paid our debt. But Jesus, the father, could have made a way to pay the debt that stood between us and him and said, there, it's done, it's paid. Off you go, you're on your own. That's not what he chose to do. 
the great news of the gospel, the great heart of the gospel, the, at the center of it is a father who paid the debt, not so that he could just make us right, but so that he could be in relationship with us and we could know him as sons and daughters. That's the great reward of the gospel is that the fatherless and the orphaned would be able to know God as father and no longer be orphaned. And I feel like there's some Christ followers here this evening that need to hear that. Yes, God is your king, but he has also revealed himself to you as his father and his great delight and reward of all that he achieved on the cross is that he gets to call you son and daughter and you get to call him father and know him as such. And that should affect the way that we experience him and that should affect the way that we move towards him in prayer. And if you're here looking into the claims of Jesus, there's there so much that you can hear about Jesus. There's so much that you can understand about Jesus. But the one thing I want you to hear tonight, that tonight there is an invitation from Jesus to step into relationship with the Father and to know him as your Father. The creator of the universe invites you into relationship with him. And we are heard in our prayers, not because of our begging or pleading or the amount of words that we say. We are heard in our prayers because we come to our Father. Church, do you hear that? Brothers, sisters, do you hear that? Is your experience of walking in the Christian faith one of knowing God and experiencing God as your father. We, La and I are really struggling with Layla and Nathan at the moment. They seem to think that if they need our attention, they need to start at a hundred decibel volume. And they just start screaming and screaming and screaming. Literally on the way this morning in the car, it was like, it was insane because the more Layla screamed, the more Nathan screamed. They both wanted our attention. They thought the louder that they screamed, the more that they said, they would get our attention to the point where they can't even hear our words to them. I was taking a nap this afternoon and I just heard Layla going, Mom, from my bedroom on the other side of the house. It is driving us nuts. We're trying to say, you just need to tap us and then be patient. And if Law and I are trying to have a conversation, they just get louder. They don't wait. I'm hoping it's a developmental thing that passes. <laughs> I don't know what to do with it. But one of the things I say to Layla is I go, Layla, I'm your dad. I'm your dad. And the meaning of that goes over her head. But what I'm trying to say in that moment when I go, Layla, I'm your dad. What I'm trying to say to her is you don't need to speak to me like this. I am not one of your distracted teachers that have a whole bunch of kids around them that you need to scramble for my attention. I'm not one of your peers who are limited like you are. I'm not your younger brother. I'm not your younger brother who annoys you and drives you nuts and who you have to look after and care for. I'm not, I'm not those people. I'm your father. I'm your dad. You're my daughter. And everything in me is orientated towards wanting to help you and hear you. And nothing in me, in my heart, wants anything more than your good. I just desire your good. 
And as your father, I am well equipped to meet your four-year-old needs. Well equipped. And we come to our good, infinitely good father when we pray. And I've had this burden on my heart from yesterday through this morning, and it's carried through into this evening. And it's an interesting one for the evening meeting. It's fit, 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 it fitted well this morning. And the burden in my heart is for fathers. And there might not be many in the room this evening, but I, I want to still speak to the fathers that are in this room. And this is a sidestep away from the notes, but I have a I have felt God impress on my heart, and this is not to, to belittle any other role that any other person holds or can hold, but I felt God place a burden on my heart to lift up the role of fathers and to say to fathers that, that it is an incredible privilege to be a father and to model to the people that you're called to be a father to something of the love of God and Father heart of God. It is an incredible privilege that God has placed on you. And I don't know what title as a father that you are longing for on, after your name or on your door at the office, but I would argue that probably the most important title and the one that God the Father cares the most about is the title Father that he placed on your life. And how do I get there? Because the creator and sustainer of the universe, the most glorious being of all, the one who is robed in glory, surrounded by host upon host of angel, declaring his goodness and his glory and his otherness day in and day out, would come and step into human history and reveal himself to us and those of us who are in his kingdom as father. And that's the title he chooses. I don't know why I cry every time I get to this line. <laughs> tired, but this world needs fathers so badly. It is a privilege that you have as a father. And maybe this is for this room this evening. And every single young man in this room, I don't know what title, ambition you have for your life, but one of the greatest privileges you could step into above every other privilege on offer to you would, for, would be for God to one day allow you the privilege of being a father. And this is not a call to fathers in the room to like pull himself up by their bootstraps and be better dads because the world needs better dads. That's not at all what I'm calling you to. What I'm saying is as fathers, you have a responsibility to get into the secret place before your father and say, Father, whatever deficit there is in my heart, whatever is missing here, whatever need I have for affection and love of a father, I find it here. And would you fill me, Father? Would I experience your presence? Would I experience your face in such a way that I know the goodness of you as my father and I know that I am a loved father? And then you step out from that place and you love everyone that you're called to father out of an overflow of being a loved Father. And that's why it's incredible that as Jesus gives us this blueprint for prayer, the very first words he says as you pray 
is our Father in heaven. And as kingdom people, as those seeking the kingdom, when we we turn to prayer, there is this invitation to know God and know the one that we pray to as Father. And yes, he is in heaven, meaning that he is other, he is different, he is distinct. We are the four-year-olds, he is the one able to meet our needs. And yes, his name should be hallowed and revered And yes, in many times as kingdom people, we bow our knee before our king. But we also have the experience of knowing the king as father. How we pray reveals what we believe to be true about the one we pray to. And our hope, our prayers reveal that we're praying to our father. Kingdom people pray trusting their father. Verse 8 Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. We looked at that first phrase, um, your Father. Now we're just going to look at that second phrase. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. I love that phrase so much. That I go to a Father who knows what I need. You know why I love that phrase? Because I have an amazing ability to get very confused inside here to spin myself around and go, God, I think I need this, and I go and get it, and it doesn't help, and I can feel things here that I can't make sense of. And so often I run after things that I need, and they're not the solution to what's going on here. And it is incredible to know that we can go to a father, no matter how much is going on here, how much confusion there is in here, we can go to a father who already knows our needs which is why there is a prayer that I pray often. I pray this prayer often. I go, I'll get into the secret place with God, wherever that might be, and I go, God, I have no idea what I need right now. I have no idea what I need. Sometimes I even pray, God, I don't even know how I'm gonna be able to hear you in this space. So my prayer, God, is simply this, that in the coming moments, hours, days, weeks, that you would speak to me in a way that I can hear and that you would bring me what I need. It shows us that prayer is not a needy God saying, pray to me, I need your words. Prayer is a gift that the Father gives us so that we can come to him and receive what we need. Ultimately, his face, his presence, and then everything else. And then he goes on to to speak about three things that, that, that we may need, that we should pray for on a regular basis. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also for, have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The first thing is give us our day our daily bread. And this is an amazing phrase because what it shows is that Jesus isn't like this disconnected, ethereal God who's going, no, the material doesn't matter. Just seek the kingdom. No, he goes, no, I made a material world and I made material people. And, and I, want, I want you guys to know that I care about the needs of the material, that I made you people who need bread, that you're going to need bread. You're going to need water. And Ryan did such a good job last week of speaking to so much of the anxiety we feel is, is not trusting God with our needs. And so if this is something you struggle with, I'm going to encourage you to go and listen to that message. 
And then the second thing he, he calls us to pray for in terms of need is what our soul needs, verse 12, and forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. And there is a great debt that stood, stands between humanity and God, individuals and God. The debt of sin, the debt of our rebellion, the debt of the injustice of our rebellion against a holy God. And as Jesus steps into human history and moves towards a cross, so much of what he did on the cross was to pay that debt, to, to uphold justice, to deal with our sin, to deal with our fallenness, and to give us a space where we could, could take everything inside of ourselves that we don't like and know is wrong, which we all carry stuff in our souls. And the disconnect we feel between us and the Creator, we can go to the person of Jesus and his finished work on a cross. And we can say, I see you for who you are, and I need that. And we can hand over our sin, we can hand over our rebellion, we can hand over the weight of the things that, and the pain and the damage that that's caused in our lives and the lives of others. And we can, we can take it and we can put it at the foot of the cross. And we can say, Jesus, will you forgive me? And it's done, it's paid, it's finished. Your soul is free. That's the finished work of Jesus on the cross and anyone who moves towards it in faith and trust in Jesus. And that's the first step of prayer in responding to God if he's working your heart is to, to have that moment. But then there's this continuous moment that we get to have as Christ followers where we continuously restore communion with God, not salvation. He's, he's not primarily speaking about salvation here, but, but we get this moment in our prayer lives where we go, God, I've done it again. I've run after a lesser treasure. God, ugh, I've done it again. I've hurt people because I haven't fathered them well. God, I've done it again. I'm sorry. And we get to take the burden and the weight of that sin and we get to bring it to him on a daily basis and go, God, forgive me. And our souls are made clean and the weight of that is lifted and we walk in freedom and communion with God. And he goes on to say, well, as those who've experienced that, we should also add to our prayer life as we have also forgiven our debtors. As we have also forgiven our debtors. And this idea of those who have been forgiven much would naturally forgive others is really important to the heart of God. So much so that at the end of the prayer, Jesus doubles back in verse 14 and 15 and says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your, your Father forgive your trespasses. And there's this idea where, where God is not saying that to be saved and to come into a saving relationship with him, that you need to forgive everybody before you can be saved. No, we come into relationship with Jesus by grace and grace alone and his finished work on the cross. But what he is saying is that in the kingdom of God, there is no category for those who've who have been, who have, whose great debt has been washed away and dealt with would then hold smaller debts against other people. 
that those who were indebted to the Creator and set free would then keep others captive who are indebted to them. This is a tough one because I, I know the pain of forgiveness. I know, and anyone who's had to forgive great wrongs, it is painful. Because what forgiveness is, is an absorbing of the debt and the pain that others have caused you rather than exacting it on them or causing them to experience the pain and the debt. You absorb it. And that's what Christ did on the cross. He absorbed the great debt and pain that we deserved so that we wouldn't have to. And those of us who are his, we get to take the pain and the debt that others have caused us and we get to take it to the person of Jesus. We get to go to his cross and we get to go, God, this is painful and this hurts, but I have been forgiven much and I choose to forgive. Would you take this too? And we get to walk away free from bitterness and the harm of unforgiveness. Jesus is saying that there is no debt that any earthly person can have against you that exceeds the debt that he paid on your behalf. And so forgiven people are forgiving people. And that's part of our prayer life. And I'm gonna ask the band to join me up here as we look at the last thing that we'll pray for. And verse 13, it says, and, and that last thing that we need is protection and guidance. Protection and guidance. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that, but deliver us from evil is probably better translated as, but deliver us from the evil one. And there is a reality and a soberness to kingdom people who pray for the kingdom and who are seeking the kingdom of God, that there are other kingdoms at work in this world and that there is an evil one and that this world is not neutral and that there are forces and realities at work to distract the people of God, to tempt the people of God, to cause us to lose sight of the kingdom that we're truly seeking, to try and tether our hearts to the things of this world, and that as those who are Christ followers, we should be praying, God, lead us, guide us, and protect us. Keep our eyes set on your kingdom.